Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm with John Hollinger, senior writer for The Athletic and co-host of Hollinger and Duncan on the Locked On Network. We are doing a series of redrafts. We've done 2014, 2016, 2013, 2007 last week. Now we're going to do one just a couple of years away, 2018. For those of you that are new to the podcast, we're going to do it in the form of a mock draft. Each of us will rotate making picks based on hindsight, what should have happened on draft night. We're going to do the entire lottery. It's really tough to do a draft that really has a season and maybe almost a full season, right? This is this is a little bit trickier. Yeah, exactly. How much do we weigh the information we have from those first two years versus our our priors when, when these guys entered the league, which still probably have a fair amount of validity since we're still pretty early in the game on a lot of these guys' careers. And playing opportunity, injuries. I mean, there's a number of things that are always problematic, but become more problematic when you're a year, almost two years, two years into it. Yeah. Here's how it went down on draft night. Phoenix Suns had the number one pick in the draft. They took DeAndre Ayton out of Arizona. Sacramento Kings, number two on the board, took Marvin Bagley, freshman out of Duke. The Atlanta Hawks had the third pick in the draft. They traded that pick to the Dallas Mavericks, who got the guy that they had been trying to get all along, the guy they would have selected with the number one pick in the draft that they had had the chance, Luka Doncic out of Slovenia. Number four, John Hollinger was on the board. Mm -hmm. Memphis Grizzlies took Jaron Jackson Jr., freshman out of Michigan State. Number four, the Hawks, who had just made that trade with Dallas, selected fifth, and they took Trey Young, freshman out of Oklahoma. The Magic selected sixth, Mohamed Bamba, the long, lanky, shot-blocking center out of Texas. The Bulls selected seventh, Wendell Carter Jr., Freshman out of Duke. Cleveland Cavaliers, eighth on the board. Took Colin Sexton, a score first point guard from Alabama, who once played three on five in a college basketball game. Number nine, New York Knicks. All the hype around the Knicks. Kevin Knox, freshman out of Kentucky. 76ers were on the board at 10th. Took McCall Bridges, who was related to to a 76ers worker. I can't remember exactly what the relation was. It was his mom. Yeah, his mom, who worked with the 76ers, only to heartlessly trade him (laughs) to Phoenix. Yes. That was was a wild thing. Uh, (laughs) 11th, the Charlotte Hornets are going to trade this pick to the LA Clippers. Shy Gilgis Alexander, freshman out of Kentucky. 12th pick. The Los Angeles Clippers. Miles Bridges trades that to the Hornets. 13th pick, Los Angeles Clippers. Jerome Robinson, junior out of Boston College. And the 14th pick in the draft, a guy that many people, including me, before I went into ESPN quarantine, had number one on, on their board at the start of the preseason, Michael Porter Jr., the freshman out of Missouri who got injured and lots of concerns about injuries caused him to drop 
in the draft. I think he's going to go higher on a redraft. This was a pretty exciting draft. There was a lot of players that I think teams were actually really excited about in this draft, right, John? Yes, it was a fairly deep draft, and the quality at the top was pretty deep where, um, you know, landing fourth in the lottery, we felt great because we knew we were going to get somebody who had a chance to be really good. And there are some years where you don't think that. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Certainly, certainly, like if you fin- finishing fourth in, in the 2018 lottery is a very different emotional experience than, than being fourth in last year's or this year's lottery. And it's really interesting, too, because you had a variety of different types of players that you could take as well, right? Sure. You, could, you have guys like Trey Young, Doncic, Jackson and Bagley, uh, Aiton, uh, any position that you wanted. And there was a guy for you in this draft, and that also was, was an interesting aspect of that as well. Well, we're going to do the redraft. I get to be first this time. You got to be first last last time. Okay. I'm the Phoenix Suns. To me, and again, I, I you can deal with this with skepticism because I, I wasn't able to to talk about or write about the draft this year. Doncic to me was the no brainer number one pick in this draft. And as much as I thought Aiton was a good prospect and Bagley and Jackson and Trey Young and and what have you, Doncic to me had the qualities of of a superstar. And he was already showing that at a very high level in Europe. A lot of times when you're drafting those European players, you're drafting them more on potential. They might be on a good team, but their minutes are limited. It's actually tougher for young players to get minutes on really high caliber European teams. Doncic was already dominating there. And while there was questions about his jump shot and questions about his athleticism and whether he's going to be able to get by people and questions about his defense. To me, this was a player that was a once in a generation type of talent as a basketball player. And you had multiple teams, three teams that we know of, right? The Suns, the Kings and the Hawks who decided I'm going to pass on that for, for something else. Yeah. Yeah. What did you think about Doncic at the time? Where did the Grizzlies have have him ranked? So Doncic, um, you know, obviously he he showed a ton of talent, and there were you you're correct though there were questions about him. Um, you know he he gained weight during the course of a season in which he played seventy games, and that was a little bit of a a flag to people wondering what he was doing at night and what his what his lifestyle was like. Um, there were concerns. I mean, you'd see him against switches have have a lot of trouble getting by people. And that's the one thing he's improved on the most at the NBA level. I was actually just talking to one of our Dallas people about that uh, today is that that's the real transition he's made in the two years from him being in Spain to what he is now is that he is so much more able to accelerate and, and start stop and go and, and, uh, and get by people and does it with with an ease now that if you go back and look at the tape from Spain he just he just didn't do it then and he had a lot of trouble with uh, guys getting into his dribble and he he just doesn't that just isn't an issue now uh, so him him evolving that way I think was the thing that turned him from projecting as a pretty good player to projecting as a freaking gigantic superstar 
part of this was, and hats off to the Dallas Mavericks, who were on this and on this early and were doing everything in their power to move up as high as they could in the draft to, to take him. Dallas has a long, long history of scouting international players. Uh, Tony Ronzoni, their longtime international scout, is not only a talented scout, but one of the most networked people uh, in Europe. And information becomes just as important as at times as, as just the scouting itself. Uh, but Donnie Nelson Jr. as well. They, that was part of where my confidence was coming. They've, they've been super bullish about that group, about four players, one who didn't pan out Darko Milicic Mm -hmm. and three that really did, uh, which were Dirk Nowitzki, Giannis Antetokounmpo. They were all in on Giannis Antetokounmpo. And you say, well, why didn't they draft him on draft night? And that was the decision of an owner that saw his team in a very different place and just didn't feel like having that sort of reclamation or that, that, that rebuilding type of project that everybody thought Giannis was. He was, he was going to take several years uh, to become a player. And Doncic, th- those were the guys. And some of this is trusting track record as well with, with teams and scouts about how they were seeing things. It's a pretty impressive thing to say that you drafted Dirk Nowitzki and then you drafted Luka Doncic. And that you saw both of them as clearly as they saw them. They, they, they also loved uh, Porzingis as well. And mm-hmm. again, without injuries, I think Porzingis yeah. turned out. I mean, to, they, to be that, than- that wasn't, that wasn't like a contrarian take. I mean, there were, I know we were trying to do this and I know other teams were trying to do this the year before he came out. We're promising him to, to get him to come out a year earlier. Porzingis. Yeah. So that was, <laughs> that, that one was not a, uh, that, that was not under the radar right there. Okay. Well, he goes one. I don't think there's probably much of a debate anymore about who the number one pick in the draft should be. Maybe you think it's closer than that. It's only two years into this. Oh, so no, was, I mean, he's he's already lapped the field. So, like, he, yeah. I mean, there'd have to be some pretty dramatic changes in career trajectory from these other guys. So it gets more interesting for the Kings at two. Yeah. And again, talk about another team. How did Vladi Divac miss on Doncic because the Kings were never really that high on him. That that wasn't really their guy. Yeah. Uh, going and that into was, this. And that everybody was, thought it would be. That was really surprising that you have a front office of Vlade and Peja and that they, you know, a generational player comes from Eastern Europe and they just they just yeah. weren't that that into him. Um, yeah, there's this this phrase that you can't be a prophet in your own country. And sometimes I think you can be critical Right of of actually in this case, yeah. you know, Eastern Europeans, yeah. Then you might be with young Americans because of how you grew up culturally, generationally as well. Uh, just in in the mistakes that the Kings have made over and over again, this may have been their biggest because it was their real shot to get a generational type talent. It was right there for the taking. It was an obvious fit for them, and they blew it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, so who do they take two? And then they blew it. They, I mean, they kind of blew it a second time too, because then they, I mean, they, they took Bagley who I, I like, I don't even know if he's going to become a good player. Um, I think all of us behind Sacramento were relieved when they took Bagley second. Cause we knew that we were, we were going to get somebody else that, you know, that would move up someone else and in, into, into us. 
uh, especially sitting at four. So uh, once again, uh, Chad is asking me to pick among my children here. Um, so uh, there's a couple ways you could go with this, and the book is still being written on all these careers. Uh, you have Aiden, who was the number one pick. Uh, you have Trey Young, who made the all-star team this year. You have Shea Gildas Alexander, who looks like a really good player. Uh, but I'm, I'm still going to stick with Jaron Jackson Jr. here. I think he has uh, the potential to be the best player of the group. And more than that, I think his game fits in on a high-level championship team better than any of these other guys because of his ability to stretch the floor but still be a lob threat but defend multiple positions, um, you know, just fit into a variety of roles where you can imagine him being a really good player on a very high caliber team in a way that's harder to imagine, even with, even with someone like Trey young, just because of the way he plays and the, um, the defensive deficiencies and whatnot. Um, so I'm still going to go with Jaron Jackson here. I, that would have been my, my choice as well. Okay. I loved that pick for you. I think that he is a, obviously as a player developmentally, he needed a little bit more time in the league, but you look at the potential and what he can become and the way that the league plays right now. And if you're asking me to project out in five years after Doncic, who's going, who has the highest, highest ceiling of the players that are, that are left on the board there. I, I, I take Jackson at two. Yeah. Yeah. And that was always our, you know, you know, we were actually pleasantly surprised with the rookie year he had because we thought he was um, a little, project he maybe in his development curve you know still needs to get like stronger in his lower body and hold his position and rebound better and stuff but that's going to come as his body fills out okay the hawks are on the board at three it's a little bit hard to criticize the hawks for what they did because they got trey young and he's had two fantastic seasons for them they got other assets as well as part of that trade but again in many ways disastrous because I don't think Trey Young is a generational type of player or necessarily even the franchise cornerstone that you build around and Doncic would have been. So again, the Hawks, while they certainly got value in the draft, yeah, he's not the guy that I'm going to select at three, nor would I select him at four or five. Wow. Okay. I'm going to do something I think that's going to be controversial here. Okay. Maybe not. I'm taking Michael Porter Jr. Okay. At three. Okay. I think that obviously he misses a year. He's played just 48 games, Mm -hmm. right, for Denver. He's only played 670 minutes for Denver right now. But in those 670 minutes, you see why he was projected coming out of high school as being the potential number one pick in in, in this draft. I think as he gets healthy, assuming that there's no long-term injury issues for him and his role begins to expand in Denver from where, where it is right now on a very good basketball team, I think that he has the chance to, to be a star in the league in part because of his ability to score the basketball and, and shoot the basketball. He's shooting 42% from three. Yeah. So Michael Porter, um, his, the draft workout that he did conduct, it wasn't much of a workout. But the thing that he did do, they had shooting drills. And I mean, he made every single shot. Like it was, it was unbelievable. It was one of the best shooting drill performances I've ever seen. Um, and I know that we weren't awash in shooters with the Grizzlies, but like we had Mike Miller and Troy Daniels. Okay. Like, and this was better than anything I saw from either of them. Um, the, 
issue with Porter, I mean, obviously, I saw the medical report on him. I, I, I don't think he'll ever stay healthy for like across multiple years. Like I'd be shocked based on what I read if he can, if the Nuggets are able to keep him upright and playing like 1,500, 2,000 minute seasons, like their medical crew is doing something amazing. Okay, well, there's where I'm not privy. I was out of it to, to actually see whether there was going to be long-term issues um, with that. On talent, do you think that he belongs here or not even there? Uh, I think he's in the discussion. I think the, you know, watching him, the things the things that you love or that um, can really jump, can really shoot, uh, you know, good straight-line athlete. The things you don't like were a really bad defender and very like a lot of tunnel vision offensively. Um, and those are the same things that I think has kind of had him in and out of the rotation a little bit in Denver, especially in the first half of the season. Now, some guys, some guys display that and they end up fixing it. Um, and some guys don't, you know, he reminded me of a little bit in an odd way. The guy we talked about before was, uh, was Zach Levine where, Hmm. um, where just the athleticism popped so much, even though he wasn't making the right play a whole lot when he watched, you know, kind of the college and high school tape. Uh, but I mean, Porter's much bigger. He rebounds and it's a crazy shooter. And one way that I'll defend him a little bit is especially young players that are coming off the bench, this tendency they have to want to try to do everything when they get those minutes to prove, oh, to prove yeah. that they should be playing more. Yep. And, and so there's sometimes that tendency that, hey, I'm only going to get limited minutes when I'm out there. This is about me. And sometimes when you're in a more secure position, on the roster and with your minutes and everything else that you can let some of that go. And so I'm hoping that he's one of those players that when he gets in a more secure position is going to let that go, because I think there's a chip on his shoulder right now. And I do think that when he gets into the game, he desperately wants to prove that he was the guy that people thought he was before he got injured. And that's led to some of shot selection tunnel vision uh, that you talk about. Yeah. Okay, I took him three. That's that's probably good for you. That left your guy on the board. It's the Grizzlies. You didn't get your guy, uh, Jaron Jackson. You selected him two spots ahead with the mm-hmm. Kings, but you're on the board at number four. Yep. So let me do my uh, my road not taken here. So we had two pathways, right, in this draft, um, sitting at the fourth pick. And the one was um, – that hopefully, um, you know, the Kings would do what they did and take Bagley at second and push down, uh, you know, one of Luca or Jaron to us. And then, because I mean, everyone knew Aiton was going number one, right? Like that was, that was baked in from almost the minute the lottery was done. So then the other alternative for us was um, if we didn't like it was there at four, we thought we could get a lot of value trading down and taking Shea Gildas Alexander. We love this kid. Uh, I still do. I think he has uh, potential to be a really good two-way guard, multiple positional. Want to see the shot release and shooting pick up a little bit probably to really get to the highest levels. I just think he's really good. He's going to have an outstanding career. All the background on him was absolute first-rate, top-notch. So I'll I'll go with Shea Gills. I'm going contrarian here because I left two pretty darn talented players off. but uh, I'm going to go with him. Now, this is going to be our most controversial redraft. In part <laughs> I think <because> so. <laughs> yeah, but part of it's because we're so new into yeah. this yeah. that we're still doing a ton of projection. I mean, hindsight yeah. is 2020. Yeah, exactly. and it becomes harder to, especially when guys have been in the league seven, eight, ten years, to make huge arguments, swings yeah. one way or the other. 
Though, interestingly, we did get some feedback on Twitter about our 2013 redraft with people questioning taking Rudy at number two over McCollum or Victor Oladipo, which I didn't. I thought was a no-brainer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but uh, interestingly, that some people thought that was controversial. I liked him more than I liked Trey Young in the draft. Watching them play, even though Young has put up significantly bigger numbers, obviously early in his career for for the Hawks, I still like Gilgis Alexander's game better. And part of that is while, while Trey Young is a dynamite scorer in the league, there are some major, major problems on the other end yeah. um, for him that that I think are, are, are real question marks. And so that's that's really interesting. That also would have been my pick. Wow. Okay. Um, great I'm great minds think alike. And, and apparently mediocre ones do too. I don't blame the Clippers for trading him to get Paul George. Oh, yeah. Uh, they had to do that. Especially when Kawhi Leonard needed that other player to get there. But th- this was a... A nice salvage for Oklahoma City. I think actually a really good salvage for them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that they were yeah. able to get a, a, a player that yeah. you and I would have said is a top four pick in this draft. Yeah. All right. Dallas is on the board. They're crying because they didn't get their guy. I I just got to believe in almost every universe, Dallas would have done whatever it took to get Doncic, if, even if he was at number one. I, I don't know what that would have been. But I, I think they would have done anything they could have to get there. That's how high they were on him as a franchise player. He's off the board here. I'm going to give them the number one pick in the draft. DeAndre Ayton here, who okay. I think has been good. He's averaging 17 and 10. He's yeah. been pretty efficient. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his his. so th- let's just stop there for a second. For like as maligned as this pick is, the guy they picked in his first two seasons in the NBA is averaging 17 and 10 on 57% shooting. Like, he's a good player. And interestingly for a big man, he shoots 75% from the line. Yeah. Yeah, I think he will be able to stretch stretch that shot out at some point. It's a little line drivey and and it's probably going to take a while, but I think I think he'll get there eventually. Um, he's had he's had a really good year. He ran into a little a few problems with the league, causing him to miss a few games. But it's a maligned pick because of, you know, Doncic sitting there, especially ahead of him. And I, and I think that that unfortunately happens sometimes to players is there was a guy that was so clearly great ahead of you that it taints your career a little bit. Yeah. But Aiton has been terrific in his first two years in the league. And I think he'll continue to be uh, terrific. And in fact, I actually think I had some cur- concerns a little bit about his, his motor, how tough he was going to be whether he was going to put in the work ethic uh, at Arizona. But so far, all indications have been really good with him. And and he's actually been a bit better than I thought he would be in his first two years in the league. Okay, we'll be back with picks six through 10 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're back with John Hollinger redrafting the 2018 NBA draft. Dallas was just on the board. I gave them what turned out to be the number one pick in the draft. 
DeAndre Ayton, the Magic, are on the board at number six. Yeah. They took Mohamed Bamba. I think in retrospect, they would have been a lot happier taking uh, one of the point guards here. So they didn't take Shea Joseph-Alexander, and he's off our board now. So I'm going to take Trey Young to Orlando. I think that's going to be somewhat controversial that Trey, Trey Young went sixth there, <laughs> given, given what he's done in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is he a little bit lower on your board? compared to the production that's obviously been off the charts for I think some of these guys are going to get to that place and and they just aren't there yet um I think there's the defensive concerns with Trey Young um you hear kind of more whispers that maybe guys don't like playing with him as much uh which factors into it a little I think he's going to have a hell of a career though I mean this is this is probably as deep as we've gone in in one of these where like we're at number six and we're still selecting somebody who's you know, made the all-star team and is going to make more. And this is a guy that I, I think some taints with, with me. I, I was not a huge believer in Trey young coming into this draft. I worried he's not going to be able to defend anybody. I well, worried that, a bit that, <laughs> that he was playing like Steph Curry, mm-hmm. but whether he was Steph Curry right. seemed to be a pretty big stretch. And and what was that going to look like with the physicality and the athleticism in the league and, and his ability to really do the things that he did in Oklahoma? And so I, I just shout out to Trey Young. Of course, he didn't know. I wasn't writing about this at the time. But I would have probably been one of the Trey Young doubters coming into this coming into this draft. And he's clearly, clearly proven that if nothing else, he can get his shot off from anywhere in this league. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean – the success of Luca and Trey in this draft is kind of like, it's a reminder that skill wins. And we all need that reminder. Yeah. We, we do at times because again, that falling in love with the length, athleticism, the physical attributes of a player can be so enticing. And, and that was part of, again, why I, I struggled a little bit with Trey young looking at him. And, and frankly, while I liked Steph Curry, certainly more than I liked Trey Young coming into the draft, I also didn't see this coming from Steph Curry either for those for those same reasons. Yeah. And uh, he's clearly outperformed all that. The Bulls are on the clock at seven. They took Wendell Carter, who's also been pretty solid for them. Yeah. At seven. He's not who I'm going to select. Okay. I'm going to select the player that went in the second round. Of, of the draft. I'm going to go Mitchell Robinson here. Yeah. Yeah. He plays somewhat limited minutes for the Knicks. But man, when he's on the court, mm-hmm. this is a guy who's averaging 72% from the field. Yep. When he's on the yep. court um, right now, his win shares are right there with Luka Doncic. Uh, 13 and 12.9 right now. That's not adjusted for minutes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, when it's adjusted for minutes, it's better Yeah. than Luka Doncic. Why doesn't he play more minutes for the Knicks? Well, there are two reasons. One, the, the, the six foul rule is still a problem for him. But then okay. the other thing is that, you know, the Knicks went out and signed all these bigs and tried to get Julius Randle and like he's, he, because he's a rim running five, you like you can't play him out on the perimeter at all. So you have to have other players around who, who are going to open up the floor 
for his dive, and then his dive is going to open up the floor for those shooters. And the Knicks' strategy last offseason was a complete bungle. It was a complete opposite of this, where you know they just tried to get all these guys like Taj Gibson and uh, Bobby Portis, and they they just crowded their team with all these other extraneous bigs, and I think it really held back Robinson. One of the classic bumbles that it didn't feel like the Knicks knew what they had here. Yeah. With Mitchell Robinson. Yeah. And and there was no way when you look at th- that was one of the most baffling to me, one of the most baffling off seasons I've ever seen what the Knicks, they took all the money that they had and they poured it into three, four power forwards who yeah. weren't going to move the needle at all. Yeah, in New exactly. York. And they could have just kept that cap room open and, and done trades to get assets and, or, or I really believe they could have gotten Russell Westbrook with all the cap room and space that they had. I, I think if you look at the deal that that Oklahoma City ultimately does with Houston, I'm not sure that the Knicks couldn't have offered a better package. Wow, that's really interesting. And that, even if Russell Westbrook doesn't propel them into the finals, he's exactly the type of electric player that would have generated a ton of interest in New York. Of course, he would have wanted to play there. Yeah. This is one of those great examples of a team that got impatient, wanted to be better than they needed to be right now in the rebuilding process, and just blew an opportunity that showed up later to get a player that they've they've really wanted and by the time they they'd used up all of their cap space the way that they had they just really no longer had the ability yeah to get Russell Westbrook in a trade anymore exactly but they did at the start of the summer there's my double like screw up for the Knicks as well as the Mitchell, <laughs> Mitchell Robinson and and I actually think Mitchell Robinson would have been a much nicer fit given the personnel that was on the on the team in in Chicago yeah yeah okay uh, you're on the board the Cavs Selected Colin Sexton. Yeah. A pick that Kevin Love has not loved. No, he has not. Uh, I'm going to go in a different direction on this one. Um, This guy uh, probably, I I don't know if he will ever be an all-star or that caliber of player, but every time I watch the tape on him, he just stands out for some of the stuff he does athletically, defensively, can handle the ball. Uh, shot is still just okay. That part needs to come around a little better. But I'm talking about Dante DiVincenzo. I think that'll be a controversial pick. I mean, and here's here's the interesting part. Like, he played on an awesome college team, and usually those guys who are, like, in the Final Four get, like, an artificial bump. And, 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 and he had a big Final Four, too. Yeah. That was part of it. And ended up and end up overdrafted. And he... He wasn't. If anything, he, like he should have gone higher than 17, certainly to Milwaukee. Interesting selection. I, d- I didn't see that one coming. Really? T- to be honest. Yeah. We're you know we got a lot of eye of the beholder types kind of here on the mm-hmm. board now because it's so early in these guys' careers. I think it's defensible. It's just not where I would have I, I would have necessarily thought things were going next. Okay. That's okay. I've got the Knicks. They're on the board at nine. They take Kevin Knox. They hype the hell out of Kevin Knox. Yeah. Doesn't it's, quite pan out. It's 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 not happening. <laughs> like, let's just call it what it is. Like This is one of the ones that if you followed that closely at Kentucky, mm-hmm. 
you could kind of see this coming. I mean, there's certain things that were tantalizing about Kevin Knox for sure. Yeah. But man, there were some red flags there at Kentucky that I think the Knicks should have seen coming and, and, and they didn't. This is where I'm going to select Marvin Bagley. Okay. I don't think Marvin Bagley was the number two pick in the draft. Yeah. Uh, obviously, this is this is the first time that I'm seriously thinking about him, maybe one pick higher because uh, I didn't have uh, DiVicencio there. I still think that this is a, a guy who is going to be a solid power forward in the NBA. You know, maybe like a Julius Randle-esque power forward in the NBA who's going to be able to score the basketball and he's going to be rebound a bit. He's had some injury issues, which have held him back. I I, I still like Bagley. I just don't like him as a lottery or a top five sort of savior on your team. But as a, you know, a third, fourth starter on on your team, I, I think he's got some real potential there. Okay. Okay. What's yeah. your concerns about Bagley? Uh, the defense. And then I think to really have value has to stretch his game out too. Right now that 29% from three, not quite there yet. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you see the end to end, you know, the straight line speed and he can be an effective role into the rim. And he, um, you know, he'll probably always be a guy who, when he gets minutes, he'll get points and rebounds. But he hasn't, like, as far as impacting winning, he doesn't really give you anything on the de- defensive end or as a spacer. He's not really like a playmaker. So you just, you know, you you kind of just need to see more from him. A little bit of that empty cal- calories guy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The Sixers are on the clock. Yeah. They take bridges. Yeah. Everybody's like, what a heartwarming story. His mom's on the team. Yeah. This is great. He actually seems like he's a pretty good fit given the personnel that the Sixers actually have on their team. And then they trade him. And they trade him for a guy that I don't think is going to make make our list. Oh, Zaire. Yeah. Now, they also got an unprotected uh, pick from Miami, which they ended up turning into Tobias Harris. Fair enough. So they were from a draft, draft perspective, they thought Zaire Smith was – but this was a steal. He was going to be better or whatever. That's just not yeah. panned out. You know, he had the, uh, the food allergy, I think set him back. Um, definitely had that crazy athleticism, but skill wise, he was a four and a two's body. And that's a, that's a tough thing to overcome. Who do the Sixers, who should the Sixers take here? Man, we're, we, we got some difficult choices here. You know, as I, as I, um, I mapped this out, you know, uh, certainly you could go with, with Wendell Carter. Um, you go Kansas Homer here with Devonte Graham, but, um, I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go with something a little more radical here. Uh, I'm going to take, uh, DeAnthony Melton, uh, had a really good year in Memphis as a 21 year old, uh, combo, um, there's some questions with the shot, but he's uh, creates havoc at the defensive end. He rebounds. He's got a little bit of playmaking to him. Uh, definitely has some athletic pop. I think if he gets a little more uh, advanced in his skill level, he's going to be a long-term starter uh, in the league who makes winning plays. Uh, so I think I think at this point, 
I think he might be might be the best guy on the board here. Okay, I think another controversial selection, <laughs> John Hollinger. Am I being a Grizzlies homer here? Let's get come back. We'll do picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. And we're back with John Hollinger. Surprised everyone. Maybe not everyone. Is there someone who wasn't surprised? <laughs> DeAndre Melton, maybe. <laughs> Everybody believes in themselves at 10 of the Sixers. The Hornets are on the board at 11. I'm going to take Mohamed Bamba. Yeah. See, I was looking at him. He, you know, for, for as much as... Uh, the narrative on his first two seasons has been disappointing relative, especially when some of the other guys in the draft have, have moved up his um, second half of this season in particular was actually pretty decent. Like I feel, I feel like he's kind of quietly come along a little bit in the latter half of this year. And I think that when you drafted him, you knew that that was the play with him that this was not going to be, other than the fact that he had ridiculous length and and shot blocking was something that you could see right away, everything else about his game spoke development, 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 patience, patience, patience. And I agree with you, towards the second half of the season, you started to see some of that come to fruition. And I think if you continue to be patient with him, there's some real upside there. If nothing else, obviously a, a shot blocker, for sure, but I think there's other parts of to his game that could continue to develop that could make this still pan out to be a nice pick for Orlando. In fact, we might might be actually selling him a little bit short, mm-hmm. and he was a little bit higher on my board, and I, I think he could still still be. He he and Bagley were sort of the next two guys that I was wrestling with out right. there, and so I think at eleven. To the Hornets, this is a, a really good pick with a guy that still has a pretty big ceiling in front of him. Yeah. Okay. Clippers are on the board. Yeah. Clippers at 12. At 12 uh, they made a really nice move to flip this pick to 11 and take uh, take Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Uh, the, the original pick here was Miles Bridges, who went to Charlotte. Uh, I'm going to take a Bridges, but not Miles. I'm going to take Mikhail Bridges. And I'm going to take him because I really believe in his defensive ability. And I'm a little puzzled why he keeps turning down shots, but I think he's a capable shooter. And I think he can uh, get to another level offensively too and become the three and D wing that people really imagined when he came out of Villanova. Yeah. He was, he was another guy that when he went as high as he did, I was a bit skeptical. Mm -hmm. I actually, actually got it for Philly. I didn't get it for Phoenix in some ways. I yeah, thought, okay, made, what Philly's doing. I mean, yeah. The, I think some people in Philly wanted to hang on to him and thought he could help him win right away. So, right. Yeah. He was good. He came from that, that championship, you know, pedigree at Villanova. He was going to be a three and D type guy. And, and he was a little bit more mature and could come in and play right away. Right. And then he goes to Phoenix, which lots of things that Phoenix does make me scratch my head. So oh, of course, yes. And and interestingly, the other bridges, Miles Bridges, that in high school 
lot of buzz around him, a lot of buzz at the start of his career at Michigan State because of the athleticism, because of the versatility. It's been a bit of a disappointment for Charlotte. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. The you know, the 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 shooting and the skill level needs to come around more for him to be uh a a really good small forward and otherwise he's just a really short four. Okay. Well, Clippers are on, on the clock. You're 13, 13 here, right? I'm going with Wendell Carter. Wow. I I can't believe you left both Devontae Graham and Svi Michalik on the board. <laughs> I'm learning, John. It's never too late. <laughs> I was tempted with Devontae Graham, just to be totally honest. I was super, de- super tempted there. Yeah. It's hard to pass on, on Carter, again, who's had some injury problems. But what he's done in the minutes that he has played sure looks like he's going to have a long career in the league. Yeah, I agree. He's as a, as a rebounder, as a, you know, a guy with some touch around the basket high IQ basketball player. I think he's going to be in the league a long time if he can stay healthy. Okay. You got the last pick. I got the last pick. All right. The nuggets. There are a lot of guy, the lot of ways you could go here. It's interesting. Um, two undrafted players. You could potentially take Duncan Robinson and Kendrick Nunn. Um, we still got Colin Sexton sitting there. Who is the eighth pick and his first two years have not been good, but he still shows all kinds of potential. Um, but I'm actually, I'm going to take Devonte Graham. Uh, I was Yay! down, I was down to Thank him you. and Landry Shamit for my, uh, token shooter with the 14th pick, but De- Graham's done a little more. I think to this point, he has a little more viability, I think as a, as a starting caliber guard because of his passing ability and his ability to really, uh, make threes off the dribble from deep range, uh, which he just kind of out of the blue blew up with that this year. Again, that's why. We'll probably look at some of the picks here three, four years from now and laugh because these guys are going to go in different directions with their careers and we're, that we just can't see right now. And Graham blowing up this past year was a perfect example of it. Especially after they go and get Terry Rozier. Exactly. Right? You, thought to, you'd never, to, you thought you'd never hear from Graham again, right? Yeah. But one thing you'd say about Graham, he was a career 41% three-point shooter at Kansas. Yeah, yeah. And he was, he was, to me, the classic, he wasn't highly rated as a prep. And then, you know, has that interesting thing where he commits to, uh, to a mid, mid-major and then eventually comes to Kansas. And I, to me, his game was always not as respected as I thought it should have been at, at Kansas, in part because he didn't come in as the blue chip type prospect the way so many players do at teams like Kansas and Duke and Kentucky and what have you. Right. I, I always thought he's going to have a really long NBA career. What is, did I expect him to do what he's doing right now and be starting in the second year in his in the league? I, I didn't see that coming, but I, yeah, I think he's been great. And I, I really liked Landry Shamit by the way, before the draft, I, I thought it was, I thought he slid too far in the draft. And I, I think that's a really defensible pick between those two guys. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Shaman had that really bad tournament game where he got picked three times in a row by the uh, guard from uh, whatever that mid-major was they were playing. Uh, Marshall, I think it was. I, I think that might have hurt. I think that might have been an overreaction on his uh, draft stock. Well, let's look at who he didn't select. Actually, the lottery did pretty good here. Yeah. 
all I mean, the top seven players all still went in the top 14. Colin Sexton, you talked a little bit about him. The competitiveness is there. The scoring ability is there. The tunnel vision is there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. The tunnel vision is there. Yeah. The tunnel vision is there. But we'll see. I mean, he... You know, he's a good he's a good shooter. He's athletic. Like I think I think there's some Gilbert Arenas potential there if he harnesses it. Kevin Knox. Why did everybody get so crazy about Kevin Knox for a I minute? I mean, I think they saw the size and the touch, um, like especially kind of the mid range touch on on runners and whatnot. And then there's a certain mindset that Kentucky holds some of these guys back um and that they blossom when they get to the the pro level. And John Calipari's doubled over in laughter right now. Well, I mean, certainly, you know, if you if you watch Devin Booker at Kentucky and then watch him his first two years with the Suns, you, you can understand how people get that point of view. But um, the the there were also a lot of red flags in his uh, in his analytics and in his tape. Just wasn't just didn't compete that hard. Didn't rebound. Didn't really have a lot of uh, d- defensive metrics. So th- there were a lot of things working against him too. And that's really borne out at the pro level. Okay. Anybody else that in closing stands out to you at all as maybe a guy that just needs a little bit more time and is going to come on a little bit later in their career? Uh, I think we need to keep an eye on the time Lord. I mean, he fell because of off court issues in the draft, but he's He's going to be one, one to watch to see if he can uh, really, you know, get some traction. Cause he, you know, he has uh, moments where he, even at the NBA level where you're saying, wow, like did he just do that uh, with his shot blocking. And uh, he even plays with a little bit of skill. Um, you know, he can pass a little bit, like he's, he's got some stuff to him, but it's just a question of putting it all together. I think you may have to tell a few of the uninitiated who you're referring to when you say the time. Oh, uh, Robert Williams of the Celtics, uh, 27th pick out of Texas A&M. Such an intriguing prospect and a guy who had some real buzz in the draft. And then, as you said, for a lot of other reasons, ends up sliding uh, down in the draft. I agree with you. That's the one guy that I'm still keeping keeping my eye on. Maybe if he puts it all together, he's going to live up to some of that potential. He was at one time in the top 10. On my oh, board. absolutely. And, and, you know, talent-wise, I think he could have gone in the top 10. And it was the other stuff that pushed him down. Okay, John, thanks so much for coming back. We'll be back next week. We'll do 2008. Derek Rose goes number one to the Bulls. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.